invite you to turn with us in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, whether you have a copy of God's Word in your hand or maybe on your tablet or your phone. Uh, we're studying the book of Acts here at Great Hills Baptist Church. My name is Danny Forshe and the lead pastor here for a little over nine years, and we welcome you. We're delighted that you're here. Many of you uh, watch us, two to three hundred of you online, and so we welcome our online congregation. God bless you for tuning us in on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, but others are here live in person, and we're delighted that you're here. Many of you are first-time guests, and we're delighted that you've come. And as Trey said earlier, we would love to get to know you and to meet you for a few minutes after the service. My wife and I will be in the Welcome Center. If you'll bring your little registration card that you were here today and sign that, let us know that you're here. We'd love to give you a, um, a copy of one of the books I've written. And even if you don't fill it out, I'll still give you a copy of the book I wrote because we want you to have it. We want you to know you're very, very welcome here today. So God bless you and thank you for, thank you for being here today. So we're in Acts chapter 5 and we're studying the book of Acts. We are in verse 12. We're only going to cover just a few verses, but don't get too excited because sometimes I can preach my longest sermons on the fewest of verses. So we will, we will probably do that uh, uh, today. So we're going to look at just a few verses, and we're going to look at a message entitled, The Church is Moving Forward. The Church Moves Forward. If you were here with us last week, you noticed there was a real crisis in the New Testament church with Ananias and Sapphira. When they had betrayed the Holy Spirit, they had lied against God, and God gave them the death penalty. I mean, God punished them severely, and it caused this holy hush, really this fear to permeate Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And you'll see this in the text that we're going to read a moment. A couple of people have already asked me, well, what are we going to talk about in the book of Acts on Sunday? And I said, well, if last Sunday was very sober and really a difficult sermon to preach, then this Sunday is, is just joyous. It's exciting to preach these kind of messages. But, you know, I found out in my ministry that if I will be faithful to God to preach the hard text, he will be faithful to me when I'm preaching uh, the, the easier text. And so I'm, this is an easier text. This is a text where, man, the church is growing. I mean, God is doing supernatural things, so much so the apostle Peter, if he just walks by you and his shadow comes upon you, you would be healed of your infirmity and your sickness, your malady or whatever that was you were struggling with. I mean, that kind of heavy anointing, and miraculous events are transpiring even as we read around just a few weeks, months really after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the early church is just birthed. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes there in the upper room. And I remember first time I went to Jerusalem, we went to the upper room and that was besides Calvary and the empty tomb, that was my favorite place where we were there gathered where many people believe that's where the early church, all 120 of them were gathered and the Holy Spirit of God comes down. And, and so as I think about Jerusalem and I think about how Jerusalem's gonna be transformed by these early believers, I get so excited. This, this text just pulsates with, with much joy and, and enthusiasm. And it's like they did the hard thing and God is going to bless them for their faithfulness and obedience in doing the hard thing. And now you're going to see that the multitudes of people are coming and miracles are happening and they're, they're meeting and they're engaged in ministry. And so we're going to look at all these things and I'm going to read for you the text right after I pray. So let me pray with you, pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you for the privilege of worship. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of God has been lavished upon us that we could be called the children of God through a relationship with your son, Jesus, who died for us, who rose from the dead on the third day and has paid the price for sin. All we have to do is believe and trust, repent, cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. And God, you do the miraculous. You save us. You change us, God. You, you make us different. Lord, you make us different for a purpose, Lord, to be a trophy of your grace so that we can manifest the grace and the power of God with people that we come in contact with Lord, thank you for every person that is here today. I'm very grateful, God. You give us this building, this place that we can congregate and meet with freedom. Thank you, Lord, for guests that are here today. Bless them, God. Thank you for those that come to see Ellie get baptized today. What a blessing it is, God, to see her and her faith and her exuberance and walking with you. We pray for others, Lord. We pray for many Ellies today. If it be your will, God, that others would be saved and commit their lives to you and follow you in believers' baptism. Lord, I'm convinced that John 15, 5 is so, so true in my life more than ever. You said that you are the vine and 
we are the branches. And he who abides in me and me in them will bear much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. And Lord, we recognize that. We recognize that it's not by might nor by our power, but it's by your precious spirit, thus saith the Lord. And so Lord, we invite you here. We know you're here. And we just want you to do a great and mighty work in the hearts and the lives of people that are watching us and in the hearts and the lives and the souls and the inner man and woman of those who are present, Lord, right here, right now. God, would you do what only you can do? Would you block out distractions? Would you block out anything, Lord, that would take our minds and our devotion away from you and just like a laser, God, focus us on the word of God because there's healing here, Lord. And there's hope and there's cheerfulness and there's joy and there's the fruit of the spirit all here with you, God, in your word. So bless us now as we read, bless us as we study, bless us, God, as we preach the word of God, that lives will be touched and changed for the glory of God. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'll read it to you. It says in Acts chapter five, now remember right after Ananias and Sapphira and the discipline of God there in the early church, here's what happens. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord. Now, that's so much in just this brief sentence. And the church was gathered together and they were in harmony. They were in unity. They were all gathered together in one accord. And Luke gives us the, he gives us the destination. He tells us where they are located, not only in the temple in Jerusalem, but they're located in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. I love this verse. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. In, in fact, Luke says there were multitudes of them, of both men and women. I love that the Bible does not treat women as second-class citizens, that ontologically, in essence, we are equal in the eyes of God. The same God that created man created woman, and we are equal in His eyes. That was revolutionary, folks. That was a revolutionary thought in the first century because women were just a notch above slaves in the first century. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's not God's intention. We are all created in the image of God and we have purpose and meaning. And so here they are, they're all gathered together. So many of them sprinkled throughout Jerusalem, meeting in homes. And when they all come together there at the temple of Jerusalem, oh my, 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 what a sight to behold. So that they brought the sick. They bring the sick out into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches. And here it is that at least the shadow <laughs> you imagine that? Uh, I don't have this gift, by the way. I'm just, just letting you know, if you walk by my shadow, it's not going to happen. But man, Peter did this anointing, this favor of God, this supernatural, miraculous things that are going on, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude, here's this word again, a multitude of people gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented. Look at that word for a moment. These people who were tormented by unclean spirits or demonic spirits, and they were, not some of them, help me now, what? All of them were healed. When you study the history of, of the church, and when you come at its inception, just these embryonic moments of birth, it's, it's a beautiful moment because God is He's establishing his church. Uh, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And then Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit of God comes down and the people of God gather together. They're, they're gathered in worship. Then they scatter throughout the, the neighborhoods and the precincts and the communities. And so much so that in AD 200, just 200 years, really 170 years, Tertullian, the African theologian, said this. He said, oh, Rome, we are everywhere. We have spread all throughout the known world. And when you look and study, and I am a student of church history, and I love studying the, the magnificent moments of growth like this one. They ministered in an epic of time called a spiritual awakening. And we have seen times like this in 
the progression and the movement of the ecclesia, the church of God. Here you have the great awakening of, of Pentecost, and then the church just, just blossoms and grows up to about 300, and then church and state start getting amalgamated and intertwined, and then you start to see the demise of the church. And really from about the death of Augustine in AD 430, till about the 1300s, the pre-Renaissance area, this epoch of time is known as the dark, anybody? The dark ages or the middle ages. My church history professor said that was a thousand years of church history without a bath. That's how corrupt it was. That's how decadent it was. But now you begin to see the pre-Reformation with, with Wycliffe and Huss, and then you start seeing the magisterial reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Swingley, and then you have the radical reformers, people like Balser Hubmeyer and these, what they called them, the Anabaptists. They were rebaptizing people. People had been baptized as infants, but then they came to faith in Jesus Christ and they were baptized biblically by immersion. And you see the spread of the church once again, and it, and it grows and it flourishes. Then you come on over to our country. In the very beginning of our country in the 17. In 1700, 1740, you have Jonathan Edwards and his friend George Whitfield come over and preach this amazing revival. And, and those Nasset colonies, those 13 colonies are coalesced into a nation and they fight for a revolution. And many people believe that it was religion. It was the, not just religion, but a faith in Jesus Christ that galvanized these 13 colonies. And then you go into the second great awakening. It's where I did my doctoral studies, 1792 to 1843. Then you have the great awakening of 1858. Then the global awakening of 1910. Listen, during these times, multitudes of people, I mean, enormous numbers, massive crowds and the masses come together and they're saved and baptized and incorporated into the local church. And some of you are saying, oh, I wish we had that happen again. <laughs> and I do too. But I don't want you to get discouraged because it is happening. It's amazing what God is doing in Africa. It's amazing what God is doing in the Middle East. It's really astounding what God's doing in North Korea. You don't hear much about that, do you? But God is working. People are being saved. In Latin America, Central America, South America, the, the church is, is exploding. And in China, I've read as many as 100,000 people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, Jesus Christ said, I'm going to build my church. Hell itself doesn't have a chance to stand against my church. And we're in America going, but we want to see that God. We want to see miracles. We want to see multitudes. We want to, we want to see these wonderful things happen in our nation. And I do too. And I'm praying before Jesus comes again that he will visit this land with such power and anointing that it would be like the early church where miracles were not intermittent and sporadic, but miracles were perpetual and ongoing. And it was just happening time and time again. So there's four things I want to share with you uh, in, this, in this passage of Scripture. And they all, I don't know, I get thinking about M&Ms and I get happy. You know, I just think about candy. But M, they all start with M's. So if you're taking notes, we're going to begin first with this word about miracles. And I want us to talk about it. The supernatural, where God suspends the rational and the empirical. And God suspends that, so He interjects the supernatural. And Dr. Luke here he tells us in verse 12, and through the hands of the apostles, signs and wonders were being done among the people. Let's stop there for just a minute. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Signs and, and wonders and healings and exorcisms and you name it. I mean, it was going on <clears throat> in Jerusalem. You got to understand something. As these things are happening, and by the way, I believe they happened. I believe they are happening. <clears throat> And I believe they will continue to happen. Now, we don't see them in the frequency that they did. I understand that. With the New Testament canon, the scriptures that we have, some people go so far to say that after the canon was complete in AD 367, then, then, then there's really no need for miracles. And, and I can't go that far because we need miracles. We need the supernatural intervening power of God. We've got to understand something, that, that is the early church as they were preaching the gospel, God was vindicating, authenticating, substantiating the claims of the early church with the supernatural. And that's very important to keep that in mind. And by the way, today, when you go to certain places in this world where I have been, God 
is still vindicating and authenticating and substantiating the claims of Christians when they are so persecuted and in the minority. And I saw it in one of our trips to South Asia. It's working among our unengaged, unreached people group there, the people, and we went into the home of this, of this Hindu, former Hindu lady, and, and she was just beaming with joy. And in her house, it was so different because they didn't have all the idols and they didn't have the, um, you know, the, the little trinkets. They didn't have the posters. They just had crosses, pictures of Jesus. They had, <clears throat> they had scripture. And I was like, okay, what, what's your story? Because there's a billion people on this, on, in this um, country. And her story, it went like this. She said, well, and through a translator, they told us that. She said, I was at death's door. And this lady was just in her 20s. And she said, I had some kind of disease ravaging my body. And not only was I tormented with disease physically, I was being tormented with demons spiritually. And I was at death's door. And here they come. Here come the priests. Here come the local temple leaders. And they are praying over her and they're calling upon their millions and millions of gods. Instead of getting better, she gets worse. And then somebody came to her and they said these words. And they, I can't say these words without crying. One of the ladies came to her and she said, ma'am, you're just at death's door, but I heard about a man. I heard about a man named Jesus. What do you have to lose? Call upon him. He's one of the many gods and, you know, in this world and just call upon him and just see what happens. And she said, well, what have I got to lose? I am a Hindu, but I'm about to die. She called on the name of Jesus and she was instantly, immediately, miraculously, physically healed. I mean, right then, right there, she was healed. And then the demons left. They, they, just, they just left her body. And she goes, well, let me tell you what happened after that. She said, not only did I accept Jesus and become a Christian, he's not one of the many, many gods, by the way. He is the one true God, and I accepted him as my Savior. I led my husband to Christ, and I led my two, the two children that you see here. I led them to Christ, too. And I thought, wow, God, thank you. You're still in the miracle business. You're still in the saving business. And I love talking about miracles. Um, I got more stories to tell about miracles, but I'm trying to think I don't want to keep you past two o'clock. And that would, be, that would be rough, you know, to see you still here and hungry as you might be. But there are some other miracles that God is doing, and I, I want to talk about these for just a minute. Because it says in verse 12, and all the people were with one accord at the temple. I want to submit to you that that's a miracle. Now, I know it's not as dramatic and I know demons aren't fleeing and dead bodies being raised and, and diseases being healed. But I want to tell you something. When the church of God is unified and they are with all their different idiosyncrasies and eccentricities and oddities, and we are. I mean, we're all different. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. But when you amalgamate us and put us together and we lay aside our self and selfishness and we lay aside our preferences and we say, all of that be gone, we're just going to worship Jesus Christ. We're going to praise his name. We're going to preach his word. We're going to love each other. I want to tell you something, friend. That is a miracle of God. That is a miracle. We come together. They were together. We're worshiping God. They were worshiping God. And the people were looking on the outside going, wow, what has the power to bring such a diverse, different background, personality, ethnic, generation, you name it, and they come together in one accord. I would say that's a miracle of God. John 13, 35 is a text I want to read to you. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you fuss with one another or hate one another, but if you love one another in a church, I'm telling you, it is a profound witnessing tool. Let, let me read this one to you. I do not pray for these alone, Jesus said, but also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Woo-hoo, hello, that's us. Jesus prayed for us. At a future time in history, we, we hadn't been born in A.D. 30. We, we, here we are in A.D. 2019, and he prays that we all would be one. Look at that. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be one in us. Why? 
Jesus answers the why, that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow. Love and unity in the body of Christ are just as miraculous as healings and exorcisms. Love, unity, laying aside our preferences, caring for one another, ministering to one another. In a lost world, of course they're mesmerized. Of course they're like, wow, there's a healing, there's a miracle, there's an exorcism. Wow, that is amazing. But I'm telling you, when you and I love each other, care for one another, meet one another's needs, and we're, we're genuinely that community of believers, no matter how big you are, I mean, we could have 50 people, we could have 5,000 people, if we're, but if we're unified under the banner of the cross and we are in our small groups and we are discipling one another and encouraging one another and helping one another, listen, the, the city of Austin, any city in this world will want to say, I want that. How do, how do y'all do that? And we'll testify that it is the goodness of God, the miracle of God. Let me share with you number two, the meetings. Woo, there are lots of meetings. <laughs> verse 12 and 13, not the kind of meetings you might be thinking of. We think of meetings, we're thinking, oh, Baptist business meeting or oh, another committee meeting. No, this is a meeting of a different sort. Verse 12 says, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Well, what in the world were they doing? I'm tell you what they were doing. You with me? They're together. There's thousands of them. Peter's preaching. People are being healed. People are encouraging one another. They're probably singing early hymns to Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, some believe that's one of the earliest Christological hymns of the early church. They're singing praise to God. There's smiles on their faces. There's a quick in their step. There's a joy in their lives. And, and it is just palpable and it's just contagious. They're meeting together in unity. And then good Dr. Luke that he is, he tells us exactly where they're meeting. They're meeting in Solomon's porch. Now, this is at the temple area. It's real close to the, the court of the Gentiles on the eastern side. By the way, Jesus can be found there in John 10, 23 as he preached. John and Peter were there in Acts chapter 3, verse 11 as they preached and healed. And so this is this location and it meant a lot to them. They knew that it's Solomon's portico. And by the way, it, was a, it had columns. It had two rows of these white, elaborate, granite columns. And they just lined one side and just lined the other side. And, and it was in the temple precinct area. And it was where they had church. And they would meet in homes, but then they would just come out together and things are about to get rough for them. I know that. And they're about to be hotly persecuted. But now they are coming together and they're worshiping God and they're meeting. And by the way, that's what Christians do. They go to church. Unchurched people, they look at a distance and they evaluate us and they judge us and they look and see if our words match our, our lifestyle. But the early church, man, they are gathered together at Solomon's portico. I was witnessing to a man on the airplane, and he was a delightful man. He was very brilliant. He was a surgeon, and, and we talked about his job, and, and I began to talk about the Lord. And he goes, whoa, whoa, wait just a minute. He goes, that's personal. That's private. And I kindly told him he was wrong <clears throat> because he was wrong. There's nothing privatized, personal, quiet about having a relationship with almighty God through Jesus Christ. You can't hide under that cloak of that's just personal. Please don't talk about that. In the early church, they're living and dying for Jesus publicly. At least I can bring him up on an airplane ride. Amen. At least I can talk about, and I didn't get as animated with him as I am with you, but he, he got the message. And I said, sir, I need you. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm asking for your testimony and, and I need you and you need me and we need to be together and how are we going to know unless we unprivatize this and, and quit putting us under privacy and personalize and let's talk about it. Let's talk about Jesus for heaven's sake. That there may be some people listening in and they may want to say, Ooh, what are y'all talking about? 
You know what he did? He took out his scalpel and he just cut me right there on the, on the spot. No, he didn't. He said, you know what, you're right. He said, you are right. We need to talk about this. We need to be bold about our faith. Verse 13, Luke says, the rest did not dare join them. You say, what does that mean, Brother Dan? So you're 20 minutes in, you're only on the second verse. Well, hold on, we'll, we'll talk about it. It says, they dared not join them. Who are these people? Could it be that word had gotten out about Ananias and Sapphira, and if you go in as a hypocrite, God just might kill you in church? Well, I don't think I want to go there, right? You know, I, I think I'll just kind of keep my distance. And people were looking at a distance going, who are these people? And they're proclaiming this dead guy's come back to life. He, that Jesus that we killed a few weeks ago, they're saying he's alive and he's God's remedy for sin. What, who? And they're just, they're like, who, who, who are these people? And they, they just keep backing up because the Bible says the rest dare not join them. Do you see the demarcation? Do you see the fact that you are either with them or you're not with them? And how in the world are we going to know you're with Jesus and, the, and, and his people unless you gather together with his people? You say, well, you sound like a preacher preaching on going to church. It's important to go to church. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't make that up. I and mean, God said it's important that we meet. In fact, there's a whole verse, Hebrews 10, 24. I'll translate it for you. It says, go to church, right? <laughs> Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching, encourage one another. How in the world can I encourage you if I can't see you, if I can't be with you and do life with you? But the rest are looking and they're like, well, who are these people? You know, I think about church in America today and it's, you know, I understand there are pockets of growth and God is working and, and things are happening. Many, many more Gen Xers and millennials are coming to Christ than we realize, but not Bill Gates. And I know he's not a Gen X or a millennial, but Bill Gates, and I quote him when he says, there are many better things that I could be doing on a Sunday morning than going to somebody's church. Well, hold on. I'm not, that's what lost people do. They don't come to church. They don't want to come to church. They don't have anything to do with Bible and Jesus and baptism and preaching and tithing and singing and altar praying. And, no, no, they, they're like, no, I don't, I don't want that. And to those people, we love them. We embrace them and share the gospel with them. And, and we fully anticipate them, them going, giving us this kind of stiff arm. Uh, mm, come on now. Until they meet him. And when you meet him, you want to be with him. And you want to be with the people of God when you really know God. When you're walking in fellowship, in filled with the Holy Spirit, then you, you can't wait to be in the presence of God and his people collectively, corporately. It's just something dynamic and special about it. Verse 13, those who did not join, listen, dared not join, and yet they esteemed them. Isn't that interesting? Megaluno is the Greek word. Mega just means large. You couple this compound word, it literally means to make great. It means to declare, to extol. Stay with me. It literally means to admire. Even though they didn't want to come, not yet, they could not help but see people in unity, miracles transpiring moment by moment, and they're watching their numbers just swell. And, and they've gone from, I couldn't wait to share this part with you. I, I, I've been preaching 100 years, and I, I can't remember if I ever said this before, but I want to say it to y'all. And I'm sure I read it somewhere. I, I probably shouldn't take credit for it, but I call it God's mathematics. In the early church, there was no subtraction or division, but there was a lot of addition and multiplication. That's what's happening here. And some people are going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. But others are coming in. And even those who are saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, they're going, there's something about those people. I believe it was the early stages of conviction where they would be brought into the China thing. Well, what about today? What, what do people, when we meet what do people think? What, I'm just thinking about the Austinite that goes up and down Jollyville and Murado Cove and Breaker and they come off of 183 and they go to the Arboretum and, and they're on the way to P.F. Chang's. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. I know, I'm sorry, but think of food, you know. And then and I wonder when they glance over and think, what, what, 
What about those people? We've literally had people come to our church who said, we were driving down Jollyville and I felt something in me say, you need to go there. I mean, I, that's pretty miraculous to me. I mean, the devil's never going to say, oh, why don't you go to church and worship Jesus, give your heart to Jesus and be baptized and, and, and grow in the Lord. Nope, nope, devil never going to say that, but the Spirit of God will. And, and I wonder, when we walk out of this campus and if somebody were to isolate us, what would they say? Well, there's research done a few years ago and a man by the name of Dave Kinnaman Dave Kinnaman and his research team interviewed thousands, not hundreds, thousands of people within the age bracket of 19 to 29. From 19 years of age, I want to make sure I get this exactly right because this is so important. They interviewed people between the ages of 19 and, I'm sorry, 16 and 29. I knew something was wrong there. And Dave Kinnaman documents what the people in America who don't go to church, but who are watching you and me very, very closely. And one of the things that they said, and you, you can imagine what it is, starts with an H, and we talked about it last week, and they said, it's, there's so much hid hypocrisy in the church. And I just wonder if, if someone were to watch you this week, and they just came up to you and said, hey, I saw you come out of Great Hills Baptist Church. Was that really you? And you say, yeah, that was really me. Can I just watch you for a week? Can I just see the way you treat your husband? Is that, is that okay? Is that cool? You know I mean? Can I, can I just watch the way you, sir, treat your colleagues at work? Can I just watch and see some of the establishments you go to and the things that you put in your body and the things that you watch? Is that okay if I just do that? Well, Kinnaman asked, and this is what he found out. I hesitate to share this with you, but it needs to be shared. In virtually every study we conduct, we conduct, representing thousands of interviews every year, born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, visit a pornographic website, take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or a psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have used an illegal non-prescription drug, to have said something to someone that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something he or she did, and to have said mean things behind another person's back, there was no difference. Man. Really? And God help us. The early church, there was a calculated, fundamental difference. Their lives looked a whole lot different than the lives of the lost masses of people. And that's what was so attractive. They said, well, I've tried all these other things. Can I try you? Can, can I believe what you believe? And will it make a difference in my life? And I pray, I can't impact many people, but I can impact this church. And I pray that my life is commensurate with the lofty profession of Jesus Christ as Lord. That if someone were to walk with me and my family, and man, I pray that they would see the way I treat Ashley. And I'm not a perfect husband, but man, she's working on me. She's getting me there, guys. You know what I'm saying? I'm at 33 years. She's about got me trained up. And I, I'm telling you, I, I want to I wanna treat her differently and with honor and respect and, 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 and the people I come in contact with and the establishments that I frequent or the things that I put in my body. I want there to be a difference in me so that what? I can become a religious Pharisee and a hypocrite and to tell everybody, oh, how righteous and amazing I am. Heavens know that I might be able to say, oh, you may tell you about the difference in me. Jesus Christ did it all. He saved me. He changed me. And, and as I spend time with him daily, he continues to transform me and conform me more into his image. I'm not interested in the things that I was interested in before because I got something so much better. I got the Holy Spirit of God. He lives within me. Do you want him? And they'll say, well, yeah, yeah, I'll take some of that. 
Yeah. Not perfect, no. But got to be different. I wonder, I wonder if that's the missing link in the growth of Christianity in America. We are just no different than everybody else. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just thinking, okay? So let's gather and meet, and then let's scatter and change people's lives or see Jesus change them. I was interested in Gandhi's conversion to Hinduism. I'd heard stories about him wanting to become a Christian, but not. And so I researched and I read this article and it said on a Sunday morning in Calcutta, he visited a Christian church. Gandhi did. How about that? And he was greeted at the door by two ushers and said, you are the wrong caste. You are the wrong color. There are only white people and high caste Indians in here. You are not welcome here. And he left. And the article goes on to say that He was so turned off by the sin of segregation. And it was due to this experience that Gandhi later declared these infamous words. Quote, I would be a Christian if it were not for Christians. Mercy, Lord, help us. May it not be said among us. People look at you and they look at me and they say, no, you're not perfect, but dude, you're different. Ma'am, I just love the way you live your life, full of joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. I would love to have that in my own life. So we're talking about miracles. We're talking about them meeting. Let me quickly go through the multitudes part here. It says, verse 14, they're, they're just being saved right and left. The growth they experienced, it was conversion growth and the believers were added. Watch this. They were added to the Lord. In verse 14, but in Acts 2, 47, it says they were added to the church. What's the difference? There's not. There's just not. Because once they came to faith in Christ and were baptized, they they wrapped them up in their arms and they brought them in to their ecclesias, to their assemblies. That's verse 14 also that says... They were added. I love this. It's so simple, but yet it's so profound. They didn't earn their way. They believed their way into the kingdom of God and into the local church. Romans 10, 9, still in the Bible. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You are saved. And I have found when people are genuinely saved, they they want to be baptized. They want to go to church. They, They want a fellowship with God's people. And that's exactly, precisely what we're seeing happen here. Verse 14 says, multitudes of men and women. Wow. Men and women coming together under the the banner of Christ and his cross and church is growing, doing exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. Acts 4 is the last time you'll get a numerical account of the early church. It said 5,000. They were baptized and man, the church is growing. And one writer said this, they don't mention numbers anymore because there's too many. Too many to count because they are just expanding and and blossoming and just burgeoning. And it's not just addition and multiplication. Now it's exponential. People are being set. Oh man, don't you, does anybody else long for that? Does anybody else just yearn for the miraculous of God just breathing life into congregations and miracles and salvation and unity and churches going to one, two, three, four, five services and you just can't get enough people. I mean, you can't get enough space because so many people want to know about our King. Yes. Acts 5.16 says a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem. And that fascinated me when when I read that verse because if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it takes an effort to get to Jerusalem. Now, those of us have gone, you know, you're on, a, you're on a journey. You're on a nice big bus, air conditioned, playing Christian music. They didn't have that in the first century. They had donkeys, they had mules, and, and they had feet. And, and they would always say, we're going up to the holy hill. We're going up. Y'all know why they said that? Because it was up. Highest elevation, Jerusalem. And when that said, people were coming up to Jerusalem, here's what was happening. People were gathering 
others, hurt people, sick people, broken people. And they were like, come on, man, I heard that there is some living water. There is somebody who is changing this world. Come on, let's go. And so they would take them and multitudes, it said, from the surrounding vicinities and areas. They were coming from all over and they were getting to Jerusalem and Peter passes by and shazam, they get healed. I'm like, wow, I want to see that on a big DVR in heaven, don't you? I don't want to see that. Peter walks by, they hop up, they hop up. Now, let me just say this. I am not, I'm not saying God can't do that again. God can do anything God wants to do. But I've never seen that like that. And I've heard some charlatans and some preachers who say, well, I got that gift. Hey, send me $38 and I'll breathe on this piece of cloth. Or I will pray over this towel. And if you send me $80, I'll send it to you. And if you keep sending me money, I'll just keep praying for you. And I'll just say, God have mercy. Because that is a bunch of charlatry. That is a bunch of fraud. And that is not what is happening in the book of Acts. There is just pure, raw obedience and glory to God that is happening in the early church. Not this financial gain. Just send me your money and then I'll send you a prayer cloth. Mercy. God have mercy on them. And mercy on us if we are duped to believe something like that. You all ask me what I really think, I'll tell you later about it. <laughs> Multitudes are coming. And ministry is the last thing I want you to see with me. This is so cool. Miracles, meetings, multitudes, and now ministry. God's hand of favors on them. Watch this. People in Jerusalem and the adjacent surrounding areas, they're coming. Notice the verbs. They were brought. Check this out and laid, brought and laid in the path of Peter, in the path of the apostles, the path of the early church. And this took effort. I mean, they did not tell the sick, hey, you need to go to Jerusalem and you need to get into the presence of God and, and that's what you need to do. That's not what they did. They said, come, let me help you. And they'd pick them up. They'd say, come on, let me, let me pick you up and take you. You know, I invite people to Great Hills Baptist Church all the time, but when's the last time I actually picked somebody up? When's the last time I actually went to their house and said, well, just not me, how about you? When's the last time we went out of our way? You know, no wonder this church is growing, my land. I mean, these people are so excited about their faith. They, they, take, their, they take their donkey and go out in the streets and say, come on, come with me. I know a man who can. His name is Jesus. Verse 15, you see this miracle. It's like Mark 6, 56, people touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Again, it's not a precedent-setting ministry. I, I don't believe that. But again, y'all, I tell you what, church, you, 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 can, you can accuse me of a lot of things, but you cannot accuse Brother Danny and say he doesn't believe in the miraculous. I do. I believe that everything God did here, God can do today. And and. and Nick Ripkin tells us, if you, when you read his documentary accounts, he says, in Asia, among Hindus, there are supernatural healings and testimony of testimony of people coming to faith in Christ in Muslim countries. There are many, many dreams and visions of, of Jesus. And these people are like, who is that? And then Christians come alongside and tell them it's Christ, the Messiah. And people are coming to faith in Christ. I believe it. I believe it all that God can do Anything God wants to do, it just seems that God does more miracles in the context of faith and belief. James says, you have not because you ask not. When you ask, you ask amiss. Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe and you receive them, you will have them. And when it's, I found that when it's in accordance to God's will and the Holy Spirit of God has prompted me to pray it, let me tell you something, hold on, brother, it's about to happen. Ministry. Ministry is happening. I love this. The, it, it, you just see the people of God. It says in verse 16, and they were all healed. Mercy. That just impressed me greatly. Not some were healed, but everybody was healed. Wow. May it be so, Lord. May you do it again. Um, I ask you today, if, if there, there's two things I want to ask you. First of all, has there ever been a time in your life when you said, Jesus Christ, I believe. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe everything the Bible says about you. I am a sinner. You are a wonderful Savior. Come into my heart. If you've never done that, I invite you to do that 
today. You, you listen online, you're here at Great Hills Baptist Church, I invite you. Just You say, what do I have to do? Do I have to pay money? Do I have to go do this or do this, this deed? No. You just got to believe with all of your heart and trust in God and Him alone for salvation. When I talk about faith, I'm talking about pistuo faith. That's the Greek word that says not just a mental, intellectual exercise of, oh, I believe, yeah, Jesus loves me, died on the cross, rose from the dead, passed me some bluebell ice cream. Ha <laughs> ha. Nope, not talking about that. I'm talking about belief that says, Lord, I believe with everything in me and I, I cast my life upon you, Jesus, to be my Savior and my King. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the early church called pistuo, belief and repentance. When you believe in Jesus, it means you're turning away from, from something else. Metanoia is the Greek word where you walk in this way and you turn around and you, you go this way. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you turn. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. You believe in Jesus Christ. You embrace him by faith. And then you're a part of the family of God. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God, the church of God. And then to follow the biblical progression, you testify you're not ashamed. You, you get baptized openly, conspicuously, publicly. You say, well, what happens after I get saved and, and I get run over by a car and I never get baptized? Well, I'll see you in heaven. Because baptism is not a work of salvation. It's just an act of obedience. And if you have a hard time getting baptized after accepting Jesus, then what else do you have a hard time with? But here's the other question. I'm getting a little nervous as I ask this. If there were a trial, a jury, in a court of law, and you were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to hold you? Only you can answer that. Are you one of those that Dave Kinnaman said, they're doing so much more harm to Christianity than they are good because their lives are no different than the lives of a secular world. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says, we don't judge them. They are doing precisely what we used to do. They, they are not saved. They don't have the Holy Spirit within them. But Paul says, but you, if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you must walk. You must walk differently. Why, Lord, am I stressing this so much? Why? I must be stressing this so much because somebody, some groups of bodies in this church is walking at a guilty distance from God and you need to get right with God. Or God's going to judge you. God's going to hold you accountable. And that's the only reason I know that I would keep pressing this and this Gift of prophecy God has given me. That's the only reason why I know or else I would not feel so compelled and so urgently sharing this with you. So I have. I have. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's alive. And I pray in the name of Jesus for that first group of people that we talked about earlier, God, those who are outside those that don't know you, Lord, may they come to know you. Even today, God, may there be faith and repentance and joy and salvation. Lord, would you save people even now? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household, Acts 16, 31. And Lord, I do pray for, I pray, God, for carnal, worldly Christians many of whom are in this building. I, I really believe that. Or else I don't think I would be so compelled to say what I have been saying and to pray what I'm about to pray. God, please have mercy on them. And may they come, Lord. May they come to you with brokenness. And may they come to us as leaders in the church who, who are broken people who have been healed and, and we can help. And whether it's transform ministries or whether it's one-on-one -on -one discipleship or whether it's a connect group or whatever else we offer, God, that we can offer them to say, come, let us help you. We, we need you. We need you strong and we need you walking in the Spirit. Come and help us and let us help you. God, whoever that is, 
I'm praying for them now, Lord, that you would draw them, that you would break them, that you would mend them so that they would become the men and women of God that you want them to be. And finally, Lord, I pray for me. Oh, God, have mercy on me. Lord, help me not to walk at a guilty distance. God, help me, please, stay in your word and help me to pray throughout the day. Help me to keep on telling people about you. Please, Jesus, don't let me get weary because I am. Don't, please help me stop being weary in well-doing, knowing, God, that you are with us, that your people, God, is a mighty army at Great Hills Baptist Church, and we are going to be strong, and we're going to do great and mighty things that, Lord, perhaps we haven't even seen or, or even believed to see. So, Lord, I am praying for me as I am praying for these dear people, because, Lord, I want them to hear my confession that I am not perfect, that I am striving to walk in sanctification and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But thank you, God. I don't know about you, church. I'm praying for you. My head is bowed. My eyes are closed. But I just want to ask you something. Can you all get away with stuff? I can't get away with nothing. That's one of the reasons I know the Holy Spirit of God is in me because he says, you shouldn't have done that <laughs> or you shouldn't have said that. And then there's Ashley, too. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit's agent who helps me with these things. I want to tell you something. What a life. What an amazing, remarkable life to know God, to be filled with His Spirit, and to make a difference in this world. God, thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we pray now for our invitation. God, we're asking you, Lord, to, to speak to people and encourage people and convict people. Lord, I'm there may not be people come down the aisle today. God, there may be people that will walk out the building and just go get under a tree somewhere or go sit in their car and just do business with you, Lord. And that would, that would thrill me just to know that the Holy Spirit is working and convicting and, and bringing people to healing and restoration. And God, we know, Lord, we know what's on the other side of brokenness and repentance. There's healing and there's joy. And, and I'm seeing it, God, and I'm so grateful Grateful to see it in people's lives. And now I'm praying, Lord, it would be spread. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? With your, stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song. Uh, we'll have people here that can pray with you, that can encourage you. And Terry, you guys are here. I, I feel your presence. God bless you as you lead us in our song of commitment.